You've probably seen his TED Talk, How Great Leaders Inspire Action. He's challenged us to find our why, that leaders should eat last, and that ultimately, together is better. Simon Sinek, up next on the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Simon Sinek, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Thanks for having me. So what I really love about your newest book, The Infinite Game, is this this almost, for me, it kind of feels like a stake in the ground. It kind of feels like you're up on a mountaintop just saying, this is how it needs to be. Did you feel like a sense of responsibility when when you put pen to paper on this book? Well, I think that... um so many of us go to work with this uncomfortable feeling that this can't be the way work is supposed to be, you know, where mass layoffs have become so normalized that every single one of us have either personally experienced or have someone close to us who's been laid off. And it, and it's become so regular, for example, that it's just become normal, you know, things like shareholder supremacy, where we know that our companies would prioritize a stock price over, over, the customer or the employee and and so many other things and like when we sit at our desk going is this really the right way business should run and when we think to question something you know people on high who make more money than us or have more power than us or more rank than us they tell us things like you don't understand how business works and we think that they're right we start to believe them because they have more money more rank and more power than we do and so we sort of suck it up and go back to work because they know and we don't and when I discovered this, this idea of the infinite game that James Carse had uh, um, articulated in the mid-1980s, he was a, a, a philosopher, um, that these, the, these two types of games, finite games and infinite games, a finite game is defined as known players, fixed rules, and an agreed-upon objective. There's a winner and there has to be a loser. There's a beginning, middle, and end, like baseball or football. But then there are these infinite games, games in which there are no finish lines. Uh, the rules are changeable, there's known and unknown players, and the objective is to perpetuate the game. In other words, there's no end. And if you think about it, business is an infinite game. There's no such thing as winning business. But when we listen to so many leaders, they don't actually know the game they're in. They talk about being number one, being the best, or beating their competition. Based on what? And what I learned is if you play in an infinite game with a finite mindset, In other words, you play to win or be number one in a game that has no finish line, no agreed upon metrics, and no agreed upon timeframes. We destroy trust, we destroy cooperation, and we destroy innovation. And these are the things that we struggle with when we go to work. These are our uncomfortable feelings. 
we're not sure if we can if we can really trust leaders or sometimes even the people we work with. We may like them, but do we trust them with our jobs? Um, and so when I discovered this little idea of the finite and infinite games, I recognized, oh my goodness, these people who are telling us that we don't understand business, they don't understand business. <laughs> they're actually playing with the wrong mindset for the game they're in. And so it was less about a responsibility to plant a flag and more about putting language to this sense that we all have. It was more about putting words to, to the feeling, the uncomfortable feeling that this can't be the way that business should run. And guess what? We're right. There is a better way to run a business, and it's based on the infinite game, and it's embracing an infinite mindset. We're going to talk through some of the principles, some of the ideas within the book. I, one of the, the questions I had as I was I was pouring through it is from an individual's perspective. So obviously, we are not infinite. We are finite. Um, but our yes, legacy— we're born, we die. Exactly. <laughs> um, but how do you—when you approach it, how does Simon Sinek say, this is how I am going to create an infinite game, with whether that's my legacy or with my work? How are you, through your lens— how do you see this? Well, we don't create an infinite game. An infinite game simply exists. It's like you don't create gravity. Mm. You're subjected to its, to, its, to its forces, and there's no turning gravity off. Well, it's the same thing. We're, we're subjected to the, the, the infinite game. We're players with, within it. You know, we're born, and congratulations, you're a player in the infinite game. Uh, and though our lives are finite, life goes on with us or without us. And you're right. To play uh, in this game of life with a finite mindset means we set out to advance ourselves and ourselves alone, to make ourselves number one, to make more money than everybody else, to accumulate more power than everyone else. But we can take none of us, none of it with us. Those aren't the things of legacy, you know? Um, whereas we can choose to live our lives with an infinite mindset, which is exactly that, which is how do we leave this organization in better shape than we found it? How do we leave this country in better shape than we found it? How do we make decisions that will have positive ripples beyond the decision that we're making today, beyond the impact today? Um, how do we lift those around us up so that they will carry the lessons we've learned and the vision that we have so we will actually live on beyond our own lives, which is exactly what legacy is, which is our impact will live on beyond our own lives. Um, and this is what it means to live our lives with an infinite mindset. It's ultimately um, the choice to live our lives uh, in service, in service to those around us in service to our organizations and service to our nation, however you, however you seem fit to serve. You know, I think about you, I, the, the word why, you know, comes up. I imagine that's been linked to you with, with, with your work, with your, your earliest work uh, where, where you came onto the scene uh, and to a lot of people within your, your, the, the, the TED talk that is one of the most widely watched. It, when you talk about the, the infinite game from an organizational standpoint, you, you talk about the inspirational just cause. Is, are there similarities there? So a why uh, comes from the past. It is the sum total of who we are, how we were raised. Um, we are who we are. Everybody has their own why, and it is unique to us, and it is, it is our God-given right to have our why. Um, everybody has one and we have only one and it never changes our whole lives because we are the sum total of, of our childhood experiences of how we grew up. The rest of our lives simply offer us an opportunity to live in balance with that why. It is the foundation of a house. A just cause is about the future. It's about the place we're going. It's about the house we want to build on top of that foundation. And we can build absolutely any house we want. 
where a why is objective, the process of uncovering a why is an objective process, uh, a just cause is subjective. You can build any house you want, and it can be bigger, and you can make it, you can change the shutters, and you can change the paint, but it's always going to take the shape. It's always going to sit upon that foundation of why. Yeah, I appreciate that that explanation. That clears it up for me. I, I, when I think about again looking at the at the ideas of the book, you you break down some of the um, some of the keys that that are that are necessary to to playing the infinite game. Um, you know, we get into ultimately where you talk about leaders. The, a strong leader is going to put the will of their employees before earnings, and that. That can seem that can seem very foreign or very uh, very very opposite of what we see in the news about stock prices and and earnings and and uh, dividends. You know, is that a brave stance to take by a leader? Or is that the 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 only stance to take by a leader? I don't know if it's only or brave. It, it's just the way that you build a business to survive in the infinite game. Um, there are two currencies in the infinite game of business: will and resources. The will of the people. Um, their desire to show up and work hard and give you their best ideas and take care of each other. Um, and, and then there's the resources, the, the, the fuel you need to make the, the organization go. You have to have both. You, you can't just care about your people and not make money. Your business will die. Well, you can't just focus on money and not care about your people. Your people will leave. Your best ideas will leave. Your best leaders will leave and your business will die. Um, it's will and resources. It's both. But in the infinite game, there has to be a bias. There has to be a leaning towards will, because in hard times, it's the people will see that will see an organization through uh, through those times. Um, money, yes, you can spend your way out of a problem, but it only lasts as long as you have money. Um, and and if you run out of money, then it's over. Will is an infinite resource where money is not. And so the greatest organizations, the greatest leaders, have a bias for will before resources. You know, when I talk about putting people before profit, which is the same thing as saying will before resources, you know, some people get all prickly and think that I've gone insane. They say, but this is a business. You know, when I talk about people before profits, that doesn't mean 90-10. It means a bias. It could mean 51-49. It could be, you know, 55-45. Uh, uh, there has to be a bias that when in hard times, are we going to protect our people before we protect the numbers? And we see this over and over and over again, how the bias goes the wrong way, where uh, finite-minded leaders in hard times, if they need to cut costs, the first thing they look at is layoffs because it's, it's an easy thing to do and it saves a ton of money. Labor is one of the biggest expenses in most companies. Um, and so they default to layoffs as a way to save money. Uh, an infinite-minded leader looks for more creative ways. They look to their team to find creative ways to, to save money. Um, I heard of one company named Barry Waymiller um, that used furloughs, where every single employee from the secretary to the CEO had to take four weeks of unpaid vacation. They could take it whenever they wanted. They didn't have to take it consecutively. Uh, but it was the way that the CEO, Bob Chapman, announced the program. He said, it's better we should all suffer a little than any of us should have to suffer a lot. And morale went up. That is an infinite-minded leader who prioritizes will before resources. I should add that his company um, enjoys vastly greater financial success um, than almost all of his competition. 
That's interesting. I, I, I know, I'm sure you've heard the story uh, from Ken after the, 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 the last downturn about a decade ago. There, you know, our company was in a situation where just in a, in a moment, millions of dollars of bookings just, just went off the books. Actually, this was after 9-11, rather. And we pulled everybody together. And, uh, and this was right before I, I was there. I've been here about 15 years. But, um, and Ken said, I didn't start this company to fire people. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and asked for, for people's recommendations. And, and it was, there were salary cuts across the board. And the more you, you earned, uh, the, the bigger the percentage was. And, and his whole goal was, we've got to come out of this stronger and we've got to figure out how to do this together. So I, I, I will set that up just to share with you. I, I know you had an event with, with Ken in, uh, in, uh, in the summer in New York. Um, you've had some experience with him. You, you said you think a lot of them. When you think about Ken's work, if, if, if I can just share that, uh, give that opportunity, that, that, uh, that soapbox for you to stand on, where, where do you see Ken's work um, and his legacy um, fitting into what you've done and, and how has it shaped you? Well, I think that we're all disciples of Ken, right? In some way, shape, or form, whether we know it or not, he was one of those pioneers. Um, he's been doing this a lot longer than me. And, and when the, the standards of business started to change to become much more finite minded, especially during the 80s and 90s, you know, concepts of mass layoffs didn't exist in the United States before the 1980s. Shareholder supremacy was a theory proposed in late 1970s, popularized in the 80s and 90s. And Ken was out there talking about, you know, people first uh, in a time when it was incredibly unpopular to talk about people first. Um, so we stand on Ken's shoulders, all of us. And though we may put our own twist, our own flavor on that work, um, you know, I think he can take pride in the fact that, that, that we will continue to advance his cause uh, without him. Uh, he, he has a positive legacy in the business world. And, you know, we, we're all grateful for what, for what he helped pioneer. I touched on a little bit about about this potentially being, you know, uh, you, you're singing from the the or screaming from the hilltops, a stake in the ground. This is something the message you want to get across. You you shared your your thoughts on that. When you think about where where your life is 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 taking you and your legacy, um, how do you see your impact on on the business world? Do you feel like that that you're um, are, 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 is, is it your role to find the message and, and share it? Is it your role to, to, to push the envelope with, with questions? You know, wh- where do you see, because I think people have a, a, a thought on what Simon Sinek brings to the world. Where do you see yourself and your legacy? Well, you know, I believe in, I, I have a belief of how, of how business should work. And for better or for worse, it's different than many of the standards today. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like to joke that it's embarrassing that I have a career. You know, I talk about trust and cooperation. There should be no demand for my work. And the, and the fact that there is demand for the things that I write or the things that I talk about mean that not only do people want those things, but it means that they're probably missing because if they were there, then no one would want to read my books. Um, so I see myself as, as, as part of an army that's there to help, um, um, sort of advance the greater good of capitalism. I think the form of capitalism we have today is not the capitalism that helped America become what it is today. Um, it is a different form of capitalism that was bastardized in the 80s and 90s. Uh, it is a much more finite-minded version of capitalism. And I'm tired of when people, when I say people before profit, will before resources, an infinite mindset, when I talk about these things, I'm tired of people you know, saying I'm anti-capitalist. Yeah. You know, or or the, the the new term now is you know if you don't believe in this form of capitalism, you must be a socialist. You know, 
how about the form of capitalism that you preach is actually not capitalism. It's some broken version of capitalism that Adam Smith would be rolling over in his grave if he, if he could see what we've done to his work. The form of capitalism we have right now was influenced largely by Milton Friedman, who was in the 1970s. That's how new it is. Um, he theorized that the responsibility of business was to maximize profit within the bounds of the law. Well, what about ethics? Hmm. You know, um, I mean, the, 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 there's, I mean, business is not that black and white. There's human beings, there's egos, there's insecurities. It's, it's a deeply personal thing. Um, and to make it so black and white that it's just about profit for anyone who's worked in a business or run a business understands that I wish it were that easy. I wish it were just an equation, but it's not. It's dynamic and fluid and nuanced, and it's an oversimplified uh, definition of the responsibility of business that has wreaked havoc over the past 30 years. Um, so I am a diehard capitalist mm. just for uh, a more infinite Adam Smith, uh, more American version of capitalism, um, the American version, the, 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 the version of capitalism that Thomas Jefferson embraced that, again, is, is the capitalism that, that – that this country was built upon. But I, I reject this form of capitalism wholeheartedly. It's, it's a, it's an, it's an, it's an, it's a modern abomination. And, and, uh, uh, and, and, and we have the opportunity to, to change it. Um, but if you ask me sort of where I, I think my role is, I, I'm just, I'm just one of the many voices out there, you know, preaching a vision of the future and what capitalism could look like and should look like. Um, that I think resonates with a lot of people. And so I'm proud to be a part of the army. It, it's, it, you know, you, sh you share that history lesson and, and, and share that when it was first brought forward in the seventies, it, it, it really, it was outlined to say this, this is, is going to carry us through for the next 200 years. And it has been adjusted. It has been changed. You know, the dividends, the stock price, the, the shareholders, the short termism, the short termism, yeah. it's yeah. insane. The quarterly, uh, uh, efforts, uh, the, the monthly efforts. Absolutely. Are you fearful? Is is there? Do you believe? I, I don't want to get gloom and doom on on the leadership podcast, but are you fearful that there's going to be a day of reckoning sooner rather than later if this path stays where we are? We're in it. We're in it. What do you mean a day of reckoning? We're we're, we're in it. You know, when when the Great Depression happened, um, the the a regulation was passed called the Glass Steagall Act, mm -hmm. which was designed to rein in all of the excesses that produced the the um, conditions that allowed. Uh, the, the stock market to crash, which produced the Great Depression. Um, and amongst many of the regulations that they passed, um, um, they banned excessive speculation, for example. Mm -hmm. They also disallowed investment banks and retail banks to be the same organization. And uh, that act, the Glass-Steagall Act, was largely eviscerated in the 80s and 90s, all in the name of corporate profit. Well, do you know how many stock market crashes we had between the Great Depression and when they started to eviscerate the Glass-Steagall Act? The answer is zero. Mm. We had zero. And since they've eviscerated that act, and since they've eviscerated those, uh, those um, checks and balances, we had 1987, we had the dot-com boom, and we had the 2008 housing market crash. So, so we're living in it. We've had three stock market crashes in recent history because we chose a more finite version of capitalism. And so the day of reckoning is upon us. Yeah. Now it's for us to try and fix it. I mean, look at our leaders in business and politics, in hospitals, in universities. They're so finite-minded. They're so short-term focused. 
and to the great damage of education and healthcare and politics and business. In other words, our lives. Mm. And so it is a time, the time is now for us to, 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 to change uh, the way we lead with a more infinite mindset, uh, to change the way we build our businesses in a way that's actually the way the game of business exists. Uh, and I'm very optimistic. Mm. I'm very optimistic. And part of the and a, a proof of, a, of uh, for, to be optimistic is that recent business roundtable, these 150 Fortune uh, uh, Fortune 1000 companies, these some of these large influential companies, published a statement that the stakeholder uh, model is a is a good thing and, and excessive focus on shareholder supremacy is a bad thing. The problem was it read it read like the generic. Uh, values that companies write on their walls, you know, yeah. you know, integrity, you know, innovation. It just was this generic pablum, and the people who they, who the, the signatories, the primary signatories in this, in, in the, that were mentioned in the press release of this, of this statement, were people like Jamie Dimon. Uh, Jamie Dimon, when he talks about cause-driven organizations, he's thinking it's about community investment. Yeah. What are you talking about? That has nothing to do with whether you're cause driven. That's just how companies give to charity, you know. And and they had the CEO of Johnson and Johnson as a signer. The Johnson and Johnson was recently fined over five hundred million dollars for their role in the opioid crisis. And and then they had the the CEO of Prudential. Prudential, there's stories of Prudential sending its own lawyers to fight against its own clients, its own customers. They couldn't have picked three worse representatives of this new form of business. To represent this new form of business. Now, I have seen uh, executives convert. I know executives who were diehard, finite-minded, money before anything uh, uh, leaders who had some sort of conversion. Maybe they had a near-death experience, or they had some sort of, you know, come to Jesus moment. But whatever it was, they saw the errors of their way and they changed the way they led their companies. So I absolutely believe that people can change the way they lead and change the way they see the world. But I want to know what happened to these three leaders, for example, where they all were converted. Because last year, they were all about the shareholder, and this year, they're not. Yeah. So what exactly happened in those 12 months that suddenly converted them? And have they actually changed the way they're leading their companies? Have they done away with mass layoffs as a means of uh, balancing the books on an annualized basis? You know, are they Have they changed their incentive structures away from uh, the value of the equity, uh, or is it just more of the same? So I'm totally cynical as to, uh, as to the, the, the true value, uh, of that statement and the, and the change they're making in their companies. However, they made the statement and as cynical as I may be, they made the statement yeah. and make no mistake. The reason they made that statement is because of public pressure. Because whether they believe it or not, they had to make it. And I think that is a huge, huge piece of proof that our movement is working. And though we still have a lot of work to do, we still have to have leaders actually embrace these, these concepts, not just do it in words. And we have to change the way in which we lead, change the way the incentive structures exist. These things have to happen, but we are one step on that road. When, the, when leaders like that use our language, that is a huge victory. You've got a pulpit bigger than many. You've got a lot of devotees. You've been, you've been selling out uh, uh, 
uh, halls uh, across the, the country. You know, maybe we hope that that Jamie Dimon's listening to this. I don't know how uh, the leader chat has as quite that pulpit, but when you think about our listeners and 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 when they pick up this book and they understand the concepts and what you're sharing, and, and in some cases this could be eye opening because you you believe that 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 small viewpoint that that you're you're shared in some cases. What can people do that aren't a CEO of a major financial firm or an insurance company? What can they do to help move this in a positive way? Well, let's be clear. Jamie Dimon, if he even knows who I am, probably thinks I'm an idiot. So, you know, I'm not here for Jamie Dimon, but I would love to meet him and talk to him about this stuff. I I am open-minded and I I believe we need all the help we can get. And if he wants to truly come along on this journey with us, I welcome him um, and those like him. Um, but for the rest of us who may not be in formal positions of leadership, every single one of us has the opportunity to be the leader we wish we had. Remember, leadership is not a rank. It's a responsibility. Yeah. It's not about a title we have. It's about taking responsibility for those around us to see that those around us will rise. That's what leadership is. I know many people who sit at the highest levels of organizations who are not leaders, They have authority, and we do as they tell us because they have authority over us, but we would not follow them. And yet I know many people with no formal authority, no rank, who've made a choice, the choice to look after the person to the left of them, the choice to look after the person to the right of them, and we would follow them anywhere. And that's what leadership is. So every single one of us has the opportunity to be the leader we wish we had. And though we may not be able to ourselves convert the senior leadership who may still be very finite-minded. No number of anonymously sent books will ever change their mind. Um, We can take care of the people to the left and people to the right. We can operate at small scale. And when that happens, these little teams, these little well-led teams, whether you have a formal position of leadership or not, um, start to outperform. Morale goes up. uh, Churn goes down. Um, and leadership either leaves them alone because they're high performing or if they're well-intentioned leadership wants to know what they're doing so they can learn. And at some point, one of those team members will be transferred to another division and they will bring the lessons they've learned. And that team will be a, a, a loving, high performing team. And before you know it, the tail wags the dog. Before you know it, the whole organization has changed. This is what it means to embrace an infinite mindset. It means we do all the right things we need to do, even though we may not have direct control over how long it takes but we know it'll work. It's like exercise. If I go to the gym every single day for 20 minutes, 100% it will work. I just don't know when, but 100% the process works. Leadership is exactly the same. It 100% works. I just don't know when. Without getting political, because I haven't done that yet in in 30 some episodes or 40 some episodes rather, um, what do you think can be done and maybe it will get political, I don't know, but the, the, the division in this world, because the things you're talking about, looking after each other and, and, and caring about your, your, your fellow man and, and focusing on building something greater together, um, is that possible? Do you think that's possible where we are today? Of course. Of course. And by the way, we get the politicians we deserve. You know, we're all largely disgusted by our politicians and their short-mindedness, short-term, short-term uh, focus how they put themselves beyond uh, uh, their jobs and they're not willing to sacrifice. Um, But that's us. Hmm. You know, we complain about uh, how other people don't, you know, don't listen to us, but we don't listen to them. You know, we're the ones sticking our fingers in other people's faces. We're the ones saying, 
you know, we're the one who's calling somebody else who's a different political opinion. We're calling them stupid or idiots. We're accusing each other of treason. We're accusing each other of being uh, uh, unpatriotic. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. We, we want the same thing. We want to wake up in the morning and feel safe. We want to uh, be inspired. We want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want our kids to get an education. We want to feel taken care of, that we can make a living for ourselves. We all want the same thing. We have different opinions about how we get there. But we accuse people of different opinions of being dumb. But we're the ones who aren't listening. So I think we get the politicians we deserve. I think our politics, quite frankly, is a mirror to us. And I think if we want to change our politics, we have to change ourselves. How do we rebuild the trust and and that could, we could talk about that from uh, from where organizations you you've shared many great stories you've shared the Ford story you've shared Wells Fargo about uh, different situations where trust was broken, um, but how do in general how do, how does how does uh, just the common person in in an organization how do they help rebuild what's been lost? It takes risk. It takes risk. I mean, I mean, what if you violate the trust of a friend or a loved one? How do you, you're asking me, how do you rebuild trust? Of, of course, it's possible to rebuild trust, but you're going to have to do some heavy lifting. You're going to have to take some accountability. Even if you're not the only one to blame, you did play a role. And it takes the bigger person to say, I'm sorry, without expecting the other person to say they're sorry back. It's the bigger person who can say, I'm sorry, I played a role in where we are now without saying, but I'm sorry, but, you know, but negates a negates an apology. Right. Um, and and it and it takes some heavy lifting. Like we have to sit there and and bite our tongue and try to understand why someone has the opinion that they have, where they're coming from, the way they see their world. We have to try and understand someone's fears and anxieties to understand what's making them tick. We don't do that. We we can do a lot better job of expressing empathy and trying to get to the meaning of why someone has the opinion that they have, rather than simply judging who they are based on the opinion that they have. What part does courage play in this plan of an infinite mindset? It, it all takes courage because nothing that we're talking about is easy. It is not fun to take accountability. It is not fun to apologize. Most of us would rather not listen. Most of us would rather preach than listen. Most of us have no interest in trying to understand what makes someone tick who's very, very different to us, who sees the world completely different to us, that we may have completely diametrically opposed opinions we are a judgmental bunch and we get our news on both sides of the aisle from echo chambers. And then we hang out with our echo chamber friends. And I think we could all do a better job of sort of taking all of the information that we read and hear with a grain of salt and accepting that the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. That's probably where the truth lies. Think about any argument, even between your kids. They both accuse each other of something that happened, but the truth is probably in the middle. <coughs> Same in a company. You know, between boss and employee, there's always division. And yet the truth is somewhere in the middle. And so the, the truth is here, too. And the question is for us to be able to figure out where that truth is. Time for just a couple more questions. Uh, when you think about all of the work and, and you started to share some of these ideas on stage at, at, our, at, uh, at previous Blanchard Summit, um, where you, you were kind of fleshing out the ideas of the infinite mindset, when you think about everything that you've you've learned on this journey with this latest piece of work what is the one thing that you want our listeners to kind of take away from this you take care of each other we are our own best hope and we are all we have wise words 
Simon, if uh, people want to dig a little bit deeper into you, if they want to um, see what else is going on in your world, uh, where would you direct them? I'm in all the usual places, you know, your all the social media places and you know, wherever, wherever anybody gets information, I'm probably there. It's it's, it's, it's pretty hard to open up Facebook and somebody not having shared a post of you. You, you have, well, you have nice. mastered the art of, of, of just putting out stuff and it just gets viral. You, your, your message is, is profound. It's timely and it's needed. So Simon, thank you so much for being a part of the leader chat podcast today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And thanks for giving me a forum to share my ideas. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. As you might guess, Simon Sinek and I are in a mutual admiration society. Uh, He thinks that I'm a a leader and uh, somebody who began the positive thinking about the importance of your people. And I am so glad he is in the field and is taking that message all over uh, the world. We both agree that great organizations focus on both people and results. And the way they get those two variables going is to realize that their number one customer is their people. If we take care of our people, we empower them, we love on them and all, our people will go out of their way to take care of our customers. And then those customers will become raving fans and become part of our sales force. And that takes care of the bottom line. And uh, if people would realize that, they would create an organization that when people got home at dinner uh, at night and talked about work, they would be talking about it with a positive way and they would bring all their energy uh, to work. And so it's really exciting uh, what Simon's doing. Listen to this uh, podcast, share it with people because it's where we have to go. Effective leadership is an intention. It's an intention to realize that it's all about serving. It's not about being served. So thanks, Simon. You're the best. Uh, Love uh, what you're saying. And Chad, you're not bad either.